0: This is the Bill Kelly Show podcast.
1: Just about everybody else around the area of of the Parliament buildings, of course, and Westminster Bridge, where the uh, horrific uh, actions occurred yesterday. We're now told the police have raided property that was linked to the attack yesterday outside the UK Parliament. Seven people have been arrested in connection. What could we see politically after yesterday's attack in London? and, And what's the reaction in the UK these days? Joining us to talk about this is uh, Simon Tubo, who's an assistant professor in politics and international relations at the University of Nottingham. Uh, Simon, thank you so much for the time. I know it's a busy time for you. I appreciate you joining us today. My pleasure. What is, uh, what is the mood? What's going on in London right now?
2: Well, at the moment, I think there's uh, a great deal of uncertainty, uh, really, reg- regarding uh, the circumstances Uh, that might have led to to the attack. Uh, We're we're just at the moment uh, basically putting some facts together about what has happened, the sequence of the attacks, uh, and uh, the sort of immediate response by uh, the security forces. Uh, So we've just managed to sort of put the puzzle together. uh, And the latest uh, update is that the assailant has been identified as British-born, and there have been a number of arrests uh, of the people that are thought to have been implicated in the organization of the attack. Uh, and it's been established that this assailant had a link with uh, ISIS. Um, so, so we now know that this was a British-born assailant working uh, either under the inspiration or the direct instruction of, of ISIS.
1: The The... Reports we're getting about this right now, this morning, Simon, indicate that, uh, and even the comments, of course, from Prime Minister May, uh, late yesterday and, and early this morning, uh, suggesting that this individual was working alone, yet there have been seven other arrests. That may seem a little incongruous to some people. Has there been an explanation for that?
2: Um, no, I mean, um, it, it, he acted alone, so there was only one assailant uh, at the time, uh, but he had been uh, investigated in the past for... Uh, alleged uh links to uh terrorist cells and terrorist organizations uh it's just that he hadn't featured very recently on the uh sort of the intelligence uh, community's uh, radar screen um so while he did act alone uh it's uh not impossible that uh, he would have been uh surrounded by people who would have provided him with uh some kind of uh support either uh either logistic or organizational or or financial. Uh, And so that's why a number of arrests uh, were made. Uh, These individuals, in in this particular case, acted alone, but certainly uh, was not uh, alone in masterminding this kind of attack.
1: We also found out that just a couple of days ago, I guess, uh, security forces, uh, MI five, and I guess London Police had, just, uh, had gone through a kind of a mock uh, session on something like this. Is there any indication at all, Simon, that they were anticipating that something was imminent, or was that just routine?
2: Um, I think that uh, I think that it's possible that they they would have known that something might be in the making. I think there may have been a link to uh, the uh, Brussels attacks that were carried out uh, on exactly the same day uh, a year ago. Uh, there may be some link with um, the current uh, talk of uh, Brexit, ne- the current state of Brexit negotiations, which uh, the, where the, the, the triggering of the Article 50 is, is going to be a, an imminent uh, matter. Uh, so there may have been a, a sort of symbolic uh uh elements to to the choosing of the date uh and there may may have been uh, some effort to try and just disrupt the normal process of politics uh at the moment in the uk so they, that they may have been on alert uh but my my guess is that the uh, intelligence community probably uh, carries out uh these types of uh exercises on a fairly routine basis
1: to suggest that there's a little bit of political turmoil in the UK these days I think would be an understatement, Simon. As you mentioned, the Brexit talks, which are very divisive right now, uh, right through uh, the UK. Uh, at the same time, uh, just to the north there, the Scottish Parliament yesterday was beginning to debate about another referendum uh, about possibly leaving the UK in a situation like this. How did that incident yesterday and, and the the fallout from that have an effect on, on what's going on politically there? Um, yeah,
2: I mean, I think that it's... Um, the The attack itself uh, will probably have uh, very little bearing on the actual process of uh, negotiations between the uh, British government and um, the uh, European uh, member states of the European Union uh, in terms of the actual timing of the of the of the process of of separation or on the, on the substance of the actual uh, discussions. I think that the uh, attack uh, as tragic and uh, senseless as it was, was a fairly uh, small-scale affair compared to the attacks that took place in uh, Brussels uh, last year and, and Paris the year before that. So I don't see any immediate uh, fallout. What I think can be uh, anticipated is that, um, given that this was a, a homegrown um, terrorist attack, but with... Links to ISIS. I think that what it, it might do is to sort of bolster the British government's uh, position in, in the negotiations when it comes to um, offering their European counterparts some sort of arrangement uh, on uh, cooperation in, in security, intelligence, and, and counter-terrorism, where the British government are, are uh, widely perceived uh, to have uh, some very uh, very sort of uh, talented uh, individuals and and a comparative advantage uh when when it comes to to, to, um, to to the other to the other european nations so it might to some degree bolster the the argument that, that the british uh, can remain uh, loosely allied to the European union in particular when it comes to cooperation in security and intelligence um, so so that's one potential let's say immediate effect. Of, of this attack on, on the substance of those of those talks. Uh when it comes to Scotland I I don't think there'll be much of an immediate effect. I think that the uh Scottish Parliament and government have uh, a very uh, clear uh and very ambitious agenda uh but but I don't think that it'll it'll have um that that, that it will in any way be, be affected by by um by by this attack.
1: Talk to me about the resolve of, of the, the people of London, if you could, Simon. Uh, the, the Parliament's back to work today, uh, just not, not quite 24 hours, I guess, after what happened yesterday. Uh, late, reading some of the comments on Twitter from uh, Mayor Khan and from others, including the Prime Minister, etc. Uh, and, and by the way, one of the tweets obviously was misquoted by uh, Donald Trump Jr., and, and that we can talk about that in a couple of seconds, I suppose. But uh, Mayor Khan suggesting that look at you know the threat of terrorism is something that you have to live with in a, in a big city like London, uh, is is that the attitude of, of the people of London as well? That, that that this is awful, this is horrific when it happens, but this is this is part of being a Londoner.
2: Yeah, I, I think there's probably a lot of truth to that, and and khan is, is is a Londoner. He he was born and, and and grew up in London. He knows the city very well, and I think that uh, for that reason he he understands the mentality of of the people there. And uh, I, I live in London myself, and uh, I was um, commuting uh, at six o'clock in the evening there yesterday when when all of the fallout from this attack uh, was uh, unfolding. And I can uh, I, I, my my personal experience with that is that there's a, an enormous degree of, of calmness and, and resilience uh, in the people of London uh, when, when it comes to sort of their response to these matters. And um, I think it's um, I think Mer. Mer- I think they've probably understood and, and in, internalized for a long time now the the message from the mayor which is that um this is uh part of the uh everyday sort of uh every day part of the political scenery now that it's something that we have to to live with uh that what's important is that um it doesn't disrupt in any way um what we do and how we go about our lives um because that would be uh succumbing to to uh to the objectives of, of some of these perpetrators and and would be a form of a form of surrender so there's a great deal of e- of uh equanimity uh amongst amongst the people of london uh and 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 i think that this is something that they've lived with now for for quite some time uh and I think that this was yet another uh, incident uh which which they will uh, absorb and take into their stride and continue uh, with with their lives.
1: I mean, there's a historical precedence. I mean, for those of us who you know, knowing history back to the days of World War II and of course the Blitz and and what happened. And anybody who's been to London has has been fortunate enough to be in there's still evidence, of course, of of those bombings uh, all these years later. Uh, I was in London in 1985, just a- after uh, the uh, Allied attack on uh, Muammar Gaddafi in Libya, and of course he was threatening repa- retaliation and. That was maybe the first time, as I was talking to some of the folks that, as I was staying there, uh, that they actually saw armed guards and and, uh, and guard dogs and police dogs roaming the streets there because there was a imminent reprisal for that. Uh, how do how do you balance that, living in London, Simon, to, that the, the possibility of imminent threats at the same time getting on with their lives as Londoners seem to be able to do?
2: Yeah, I, I think that one of the things that's... Uh probably quite important is the degree of trust uh and and confidence that there is in uh the various organizations that that really are, are at the forefront of providing
0: security uh
2: that is uh, domestic intelligence um it's um uh, scotland yard it's the metropolitan police of london all of which are, are highly esteemed organizations. Uh, so I think part of it comes from that. I think that we know that, you know, we, we trust the spooks and we allow them to get on with their jobs. And I think uh, more often than not, they do it very successfully if we look at the number of plots in the foiled versus those that actually, uh, you know, come to fruition. Um, and I, I also think that um, there's this kind of self-confidence as well uh, amongst Londoners that the city itself, what it represents in terms of cosmopolitan culture, in terms of um, the, the type of uh, work, the type of profession, the type of uh, commitment that people have to, to being and living in the city, uh, all, both of those uh, are, I think, underpin the, the values of the people that, that live in the city. Uh, of London, and I think that it's there's, that that commitment is so firmly rooted that, that there is nothing really that could that could shake that. And I think that a uh, manifestation of that is is uh, very basic is is how the the city uh, voted for the last uh, mayor for for uh, Mayor Khan uh, and how it voted uh, during uh, the Brexit uh, referendum, uh, both of which um, were a manifestation of the openness of the attitudes of, of Londoners.
1: When when things like this happen that there's always the, the concern that, that this is going to tear apart and maybe even along ethnic lines. London of course is a very diverse city uh, and, and proudly so. Uh, do you see any evidence that that's happening? As you mentioned, I mean, th- th- there's a, a, a pride in diversity. I, I noticed when I, when I've been in London and talked to some of the locals from there, that uh, that they are they're proud of the fact that there's such a diverse as evidence. Obviously, as you say, by the election of Mayor Khan last year, uh, maybe to underscore that point, is there any concern that that starts to get fractured because of these events?
2: Um- I, I don't I don't know is the answer, but I don't I suspect that I, I, I don't think so. Um, and um, I, I think I think that uh, what what I say kind of holds, I don't see any, any evidence of of polarization. There isn't anything to suggest that there is something like that that might exist. That doesn't mean that that kind of polarization doesn't exist across the country. That that is very much present. But that would that would that is a division that separates london from other cities uh, or other parts of the country which which don't have those values i mean i think the the one example for uh, of of the fact that this uh, set of values and commitments that i uh, referred to earlier are are resilient is in the uh, by-election that they had uh, in uh, richmond which is a constituency in a very leafy Uh, and a very wealthy uh, part of West London. They had a by-election because their MP, Zach Goldsmith, uh, stood down uh, because of a separate matter related to the construction of a a runway at Heathrow. He stood down because he disagreed with uh, his uh, party's line on this, uh, and he stood for re-election as an independent. And because of the line that he took... uh, during the mayoral election, he ran for mayor against Sadiq Khan because of the line that he took, which was a sort of st- strongly anti-Islamic, uh, potentially even uh, xenophobic line that he took during the um, the mayoral ele- election. And because of the, anti, uh, well, the anti-EU or, or the Brexiteer position that he took during the referendum, he was ousted from uh, his constituency by, by, by uh, the people living in that part of London. So they elected uh, a liberal democratic uh, candidate uh, in, in that seat who was a pro-EU character. So you can see that even in the wealthy uh, parts of West London, uh, any attempt to try and stoke uh, sentiment which is uh, in opposition to foreigners in opposition to Muslims in opposition to the EU uh, is not is not going to be uh, rewarded. So I think that the, the, the feelings that i referred to earlier on are, are quite resilient.
1: Simon, just a minute or so left in our time. I really appreciate you joining us today. Uh, Prime Minister uh, Theresa May, busy right now trying to navigate through the choppy waters of, of the Brexit discussion, of course, in Parliament. And then this is going on. People look to leaders uh, to lead in situations like this. How would you, uh, how would you rate her performance in, in dealing with this major issue? Uh, this is really her first major test, I would think, as prime minister.
2: Yeah that's right. I I I think where the, Theresa May at the moment is a powerful and and popular figure. She's powerful within her cabinet, she's popular uh in the rest of the country. Uh I think that her response was uh appropriate. I think that she will uh get a lot of uh, additional support uh, for the quality of her response. She's wrapped herself up in, in the Union Jack before uh, in, in the assertiveness that she demonstrated towards uh, the European Union when she uh, set out her vision for, for Britain in, in her Lancaster speech in, in, in January. Uh, and I think that she will continue to to do that, and she will continue to benefit politically uh, from that. Uh, she's uh, had her tenure as, as a Home Office minister, where she was responsible for uh, immigration, cross-border crime, and uh internal uh uh, security and in that position she also has a fairly decent record not uncheckered, but a fairly decent record where she established her stance and her credibility as a very assertive politician and i think that even though this is her first test of this kind as prime minister she's been in she's she's been in a situation where she's had to deal with this type of uh, matter before uh, and so she's not entirely inexperienced. Uh, so I think that overall, I, I would expect this to, to strengthen her, her position um, and her popularity.
0: You're listening to The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on AM 900 CHML.
1: Trying to get the latest on what's going on in London and in the UK because the apparently the investigation extends beyond... City of London right now. Joining us is uh, Redmond Shannon, Global News, European Bureau reporter to bring us an update on this. Uh, Redmond, thank you so much for the time. It's a pleasure to have you with us on the show today. No problem. What are the uh, the latest developments? We understand now that ISIS has actually uh, uh, accepted responsibility for this.
0: Well, uh, they use very sp- specific language uh, regarding to this, and it is saying that this individual was, quote, well, one of their soldiers, which is a code that points to perhaps uh, the fact that this individual might not have been directly involved with ISIS, but was someone that was perhaps inspired by ISIS, it's a uh, language that's been used before. And those points to uh, an ongoing issue um, at major cities in Europe and North America about how people who are born in these countries, um, this individual was British-born, how they can perhaps be radicalized and inspired by uh, radical uh, Islamic uh, ideology. So that's what we know. We don't know uh, the individual's name yet. We know um, that, as I said, he is British-born, and Theresa May told Parliament this morning that police believe that he acted alone and that is despite the fact that overnight eight individuals were arrested here in London and in other parts of the UK. Um, We don't know exactly why they were arrested, but it was in response to the attack. But obviously, if this individual is believed to be enacting acting alone, then perhaps that uh, um, they are somewhat indirectly involved or are suspects um, or known to police um, or known to security services and perhaps believe that they may have some information that will help police get to... The bottom of uh, how and when this
1: was planned. Redman, has Scotland Yard given any more details about this individual? I, I know we don't know the name, obviously, as of yet, but uh, clearly he he seems to be, uh, as you say, a, a somebody who was born in the UK, become radicalized. Uh, is there any indication that he he went overseas for training, or that uh, this was done through the internet? Any idea at all, or is that information available yet?
0: No, that's that's not information that we have. We were unsure as, as to. Um, to who he was, and although some media outlets perhaps might be aware of his identity, police are asking the media not to reveal that for the time being because of uh, due to their investigation. So that would indicate that perhaps that perhaps some uh, UK media outlets are aware of his identity. And there are reports that uh, the car that was used in the attack was rented in the city of Birmingham, which is about 200 kilometres from London. So the other details uh, about him so far are are pretty sketchy.
1: Is there any indication at this stage, too, that uh, there could be other arrests? Is that one of the reasons why perhaps the name has not been released to the public yet?
0: Yes, perhaps. Um, Police say very little um, on that, of course, as well. But... um, it isn't anticipated, uh, that, well, Theresa May said at uh, House of Parliament this morning, but it's not anticipated that, that there is any direct threat um, for a subsequent attack. Um, so there is a uh, the threat level remains the same uh, here in the UK, but um, it's not anticipated that um, anything else will happen. But of course, it wasn't anticipated anything would happen this time yesterday, and um,
1: it did. Having said that though we we're told that there's there's increased security obviously around the Parliament buildings today uh, and in other parts of london I, that's maybe not an anticipation of something. Is that just uh, the the typical protocol after an event like this?
0: Well, it is um perhaps you can hear in the background a uh, helicopter flying overhead. I am uh, right outside Westminster Abbey, which is a couple of hundred meters from the house uh, of Parliament right now. that is the edge of the court on the north side um, of uh, of uh, the House of Parliament right now. And uh, there is a heavy police presence uh, at the cordon, um, helicopters, uh, special response units. Uh, As you can probably hear, the helicopters are uh, directly overhead now. It's been going all morning, it's been going almost 24 hours since. Uh, helicopters have been going since the attack almost 24 hours ago. Um, but it is uh, it anything but a an normal day, despite the fact that Parliament is. Operating as close to normal as possible
1: today. How about security around there? It was uh, rather surreal to be watching the the highlights uh, yesterday. uh, The coverage, of course, from all the networks as we were watching on television back here, Redmond. Uh, and and for an investor like myself who have, have been to London uh, to see Whitehall basically you know clear of people and cars and and the same thing with the bridge and right where you're standing there of course by Westminster Abbey uh, is it is it quote unquote business as usual now or, or are there more security restrictions in that area now?
0: Yeah, well the, the cordon has been reduced, uh, but the security remains very very tight. So I can see um, from where I'm standing perhaps seven eight police vehicles just in my line of sight right now um and we do of course see something that people in Britain are not as um, familiar with as Canadians might be and that is of course uh police officers with firearms now police officers uh a special units have firearms here in the UK and around tar- um, specific uh sites such as Buckingham Palace and uh, the parliament are armed but of course the um police officer who uh, was stabbed yesterday, he did not have a firearm. Um, but there are, you can see a number of police officers, a significant number of police officers armed with um, with a semi-automatic uh, machine guns here, and that is something that's becoming more and more prevalent, something Londoners are getting more and more used to
1: at this point in the investigation, is this, uh, step, is this Scotland Yard that that is, is is charging forward with this investigation at this stage? Is MI5 involved in this at, at this point? Redmond, what do we know about that?
0: Um, well, uh, what we know is what we can um, assume. Um, well, we do know that uh, police are coordinating with MI5 that they would in an investigation like this. So it is uh, an investigation similar to those that would have been carried out in uh, after previous incidents. Uh, here in the U.K. This is, of course, the most serious uh, terror attack in London since the um, the transit um, attack um, on the underground network and buses uh, in 2005, the 7-7 attacks that took place in July 2005.
1: So so obviously there's there's a precedent being set here for the investigation and how this goes on. Uh, any any word about the uh, those who are survived? We know the people who died tragically yesterday, of course, including the police officer to whom you just referred. But uh, we're our understanding also that the number of the people that did survive are in very critical condition. Is there a possibility of more fatalities? In, in, is this what rolls out?
0: Yeah, well, we'll that's, of course, it is a possibility. Um, seven people in a critical condition in hospital, among 29 who were hospitalized in total. Um, we are learning more details, of course, about the, the victims. We so, you know uh, the police officer forty eight well, the 48-year-old uh, um, man who was married with children. was the veteran of the uh, 15-year-old, 15-year veteran of the police force here. And this morning we learned about one of the other victims, a uh, lady who was hit on the bridge and died, she was a 43-year-old woman who was actually on her way to pick up her children's school when
1: she was struck on the bridge.
0: You're listening to The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on AM 900 CHML.
1: Finally, uh, Federal Finance Minister Bill Morneau stood in the House of Commons and delivered the budget. And, uh, well, there was some showbiz that went on before, and even after, I guess, to a certain extent. Anyway, we're going to get some reaction to it through the course of this hour and the impact that it's going to have on you and me. Uh, to kick things off, we're so pleased to welcome Marvin Ryder back to the program, business professor at the DeGroote School of Business at McMaster University. Marvin, thank you for the time. It's good to have you with us today. Glad to be here, Bill. I, I, I feel like talking about the shenanigans that went on before that, but I mean, we'll get to that maybe in a couple of minutes. Okay. Uh, the, first of all, your thoughts on, on what Mr. Morneau actually had to say. The, the overall <laughs> uh, reactions from most people seem to be kind of much ado about nothing.
3: Yes. How about a yawn? How about well, a you yawn? Go. So uh, I kind of knew this going into this budget, Bill. Last year is really the first budget of the uh, elected liberals, and they laid out a multi-year strategy. This is when they gave you the cut for the middle-income earners. On the other hand, added a new tax rate for the, the richer income earners. They were doing some things around child care benefits. And, and last year was really the year that they laid out all their programs and did the major spending. In essence, this year, it's battened down the hatches full speed ahead. We told told you what we're doing, we're doing it. We're not really changing anything to any substantive way. So I expected the budget was going to, uh, if you will, re-announce things they'd already talked about, pat themselves on the back for their successes in negotiating free trade deals with uh, with Europe, uh, say that they were ready to deal with Donald Trump and and NAFTA 2.0. But in essence, I wasn't expecting any new significant spending. I wasn't expecting any new taxes. It was really just full speed ahead.
1: Yet, <laughs> there wasn't a whole lot of talk. I mean, even the talk about the United States was done in very superlative terms. You know, our long, good friends, and we love them to pieces, etc. But I, I kind of got the sense I was, as I was going through some of the, the the details, or non-details, I guess, of the budget, that uh, they were very much concerned about Trump and, and what may be happening. Uh, when he starts talking about some of the border taxes and, and tougher negotiations in NAFTA right now, uh, did you get the feeling that uh, the government here is just kind of kind of rag the puck until they find out where Trump's going?
3: Yeah, that's a, that's a really good expression, Bill. Uh, that, that seems to me exactly what they're doing. I know and in a way we've been talking about Trump forever, but reality is that he only became president really less than 60 days ago, just two months ago. And the tone of his administration is quite mixed. One day it seems to veer over here, another day it seems to veer over there. It's very hard then to set a budget where you say, this is what my targets are going to be for the next year, when you have the elephant in the room veering around wildly I think this year the more interesting statement will not be this budget we saw yesterday, but the update in October. By that point, they'll have done eight months with Donald Trump, and I think at that point we're going to know. To give you a couple of quick examples. Donald says that one of the things he's going to do is dramatically cut uh, business tax rates. Now, in Canada, uh, we've already done that. we already cut business tax rates federally, and we've done it provincially to try to attract businesses here. In fact, you remember that when Tim Hortons and, and Burger King merged, one of the things they cited was the lower taxes in canada uh, as a, for the reason for the merger Now, if Donald were to do something big like this, then maybe we're going to have to respond with a little more of a tax cut of our own. But don't do it now. Don't do it in advance. Uh, Obviously, we need every dollar of revenue this government can get to pay for all of its other programs it wants to do. Let's just wait and see what we may have to do. Or if Donald Trump goes after a sector, let's suppose he goes after the auto sector, or maybe he goes after the dairy farmers, or maybe he goes after beef producers, God only knows, then maybe we're going to have to have some sort of a program, a subsidy program, a support program of some sort. If we announce it all now and there's no extra money in the kitty, then what are we going to do down the road? So, yesterday's budget still has a deficit, a much bigger deficit than the Liberals campaigned on. You'll remember, Bill, the Liberals said they'd have a $10 billion deficit for each of their first three years in office. Well, this is the second year, and the projected deficit is $25.5 billion, but it's actually announced as $28.5 billion because they've got a $3 billion contingency fund, money they're setting aside just in case, and that just in case is very much about Donald Trump.
1: Do you get the sense, uh, you and I talked a a few days ago, Marvin, about the fact that Mr. Morneau and and Others uh, of his uh, council colleagues uh, have spent a fair bit of time down in the states uh, talking with uh, state representatives, not just with federal representatives, about trying to do some smoothing over here to try to reestablish some of those relationships. Uh, when, When I see this, let's put everything on hold budget right now, does that indicate that maybe the news they got down there wasn't that good?
3: Well, no, I I actually think they've been getting a lot of positive feedback from the state representatives. I think what they're getting is quite a mixed message at the federal level. So you might remember that there was a trade representative who's going to lead the NAFTA negotiations along with the Secretary of Commerce, and when he was being... um, I guess the best word is uh, grilled or interrogated by the appropriate committee down there. Many of the senators started expressing some things about Canada that, frankly, I hadn't heard. I didn't realize that some senators down there felt we were such a threat. Now, you can go down and target them. You can go down and try to say, no, 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 we're not, your perceptions are wrong here. But if that's their feelings inside, then you're saying, hmm, even if the governors think we're very important, even if the mayors think we are very important to them, these are some feelings in Washington. You know, Bill, there's an expression in Washington inside the beltway, meaning there's this, uh, uh, this circular road that surrounds Washington. And sometimes these nice elected representatives get inside that beltway, and they kind of lose touch with the way the real world is. And so I think, again, we're going to keep lobbying them. We're going to keep making our case. But just in case they don't get the message, it'd be prudent to have a little money set aside for a rainy day. And I think that's what Mr. Morneau did yesterday.
1: Now, you know, Mayor Eisenberg has already responded to this, by the way, and other mayors have as well well, Mayor Iverson from Edmonton, uh, among the two more vocal mayors, and suggested this actually a pretty good budget for cities, because there is money for transit, there is going to be money for housing. But that raises the obvious question, Marvin, how are you going to pay for this? And I don't see that, that the government is is proposing too many ways. As you say, they, they've got to raise the money someplace. They didn't seem to show any way or they, want, they, they, they seem to want to do that in, in this budget. Right. I'll give an example. I mean, the speculation we heard, for instance, was there's probably going to be a uh, an increase in the capital gains tax, uh, which would have been a revenue generator for them, and uh, from fifty percent up to seventy five. They're not touching anything,
3: right? So a couple of things to your point here, Bill. Uh, Certainly under Stephen Harper and and the late Jim Flaherty, there was a a very single-minded idea that, okay, if we do have to run deficits, it is to be temporary only, it is meant to be a stimulus for a short period of time, we must get back to balance, and then once we get back to balance, we must start reducing our debt load. Uh, In fact, the conservatives were so single-minded on that that when they went out to the last election, the election that ultimately Justin won, they were proud to announce we've balanced the budget again. What well, the liberals came out and said, well, you know, maybe, maybe you shouldn't be so focused on that as a mission. If there's still pain and suffering out there, maybe we should, should approach this in a different way. So I would actually tell you the liberals are taking a page out of sort of a corporate playbook. I know this will come as a shock to people when I say that, but most corporations out there, whether you're a bank or you're a steel company, what have you, you carry a certain amount of debt. Uh, it's just—it's good to be leveraged to some extent. You use your money to do some things. You use the bank's money to do some other things. So really the focus has shifted for the liberals now. Rather than balancing the budget or reducing the total debt load, it's more about, well, have we got the right amount of debt that we can carry? So what Mr. Morneau has said, uh, what we'd have is a debt equal to 31 cents for every dollar in our GDP. You can think of our gross domestic product kind of like our annual income, so, look, we've got 31% of that in debt. That's, that we can carry that. That's a decent load. So my goal, even though I'm running deficits to pay for some of these things, is to not let that deviate too much. Now, next year... It's supposed to tick up a little. I think it's going to go to 31.5%. But then afterwards, the amount of debt we're adding is going to grow less than the growth in the GDP. And ultimately, as a percentage of our gross domestic product, it's less. Now, is that all shell games? Yeah, to some extent. I I still believe that you should balance your budget. Uh, You should live within your means. I think that's what we should do as humans. I think this is what our government should do as well. But he's arguing the need right now exceeds this. And that's why I'm I'm comfortable, this is Mr. Morneau speaking, I'm comfortable running some, some deficits. We'll see if this comes back to haunt them. Remember, the next election federally is in 2019. That's just two years away. If people feel the economy is growing and if they feel they've gotten benefits from the liberals, they may may uh, lose sight of the deficits. If, on the other hand, nothing's any better, and meanwhile they've rung up all these dollars, there may be hell to pay.
1: The uh, numbers, by the way, the job creation numbers are actually not bad uh, for the country right now. Um, no, there can be a debate, and I'm sure there will be a debate as to who's responsible for that. Whether it's just a natural uptick or whether this is because of some of the government programs they announced last year. Right. But does 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 that factor into this, where where the government's looking at this and saying, steady as she goes here, we don't need to throw a lot of goodies at them right now.
3: Yeah, that's. I mean, frankly, that's the gamble now. You, you you probably one of the great things in life is that we have we have a very short term memory. A year ago at this time, a year ago at this time, or maybe actually a little less than a year ago, ten months ago at this time, we were talking about the tire the big fire, excuse me, the big fire in Fort McMurray. That fire was so big and so devastating that it actually caused our economy to shrink in the second quarter of two thousand and sixteen. Now, yes, there's no doubt about it. The last two quarters of 2016 were pretty good. But is that because of government programs? Is that because the private sector is spending? Is this in reaction to greater confidence in the world? Or are we simply rebuilding after a major devastating fire, and thus once you get more of it rebuilt, that effect will will drop down? We can't tell. I spoke to an economist yesterday who said he felt the government spending last year led to 0.6% growth in our GDP, a little more than half a percent growth in our GDP. That was his feeling. And I said, but is that separate from what we got from Fort McMurray? Well, he couldn't tell because, again, some of Fort McMurray is also government spending going on there. And and that's what we don't know. So I think what the liberals, again, are saying is I think we're going in the right direction. I think I can see us picking up a little speed. Obviously, last year, we only grew around uh, 1.3%. What they'd really like to see is something more like 2, two and a half, three percent 3%. Things are looking good that we might get that. Maybe not quite this year, but maybe next year. So let's not upset the apple cart. And by the way, Bill, I think the minister knows there's another little shock to the nervous system going to happen. Not right away, but late in 2017. I think we're going to see the Bank of Canada finally raise those interest rates just a quarter of a point but now again if that goes up and that might cool the economy this is not the time to rock the boat so steady as she goes
1: speaking of cooling things uh, the housing market is hot we know that in this country right now uh a lot of people were expecting that the government was going to announce some kind of measures to try to cool things down a little bit i don't know it would have been the capital gains tax increase or something like that but again they don't seem to want to touch anything
3: well, that was what I thought the capital gains tax. So this was a trial balloon floated earlier this week that they might limit the amount of capital gains you can either get at the 50% rate or just say from now on 75% of your gain is taxable rather than just half of your gain is taxable. And why is that? Well, if I buy a house in Toronto for 500000 sit on it for a year or two and then flip it at 750000 that 250000 is a capital gain. And if I, if I now tax it in a different way, it makes it less attractive to investors. I thought maybe they would do this. They actually now look like a hero because they didn't do it, and why do they look like a hero? Well, there are a lot of seniors out there, Bill, who have their money invested. They don't just put it in GICs anymore because the rate of return is so terrible there. They've had to invest in things like the stock market, so they've gotten used to this idea of capital gains or or interest rate gains, or even if they invest in mutual funds, those have capital gains and, and interest rate gains, and so I think they felt that You know, seniors are being hit hard enough on other fronts. Let's not do this at this point. I I think they're hoping the market may just cool down on its own, or the federal government, in essence, punted the problem to B.C. Remember, B.C. has put Mm -hmm. that special tax in, even though it's being challenged in court it still exists. Maybe Ontario will do this. Remember, we haven't heard the provincial budget yet. I'm going to be curious to see whether Charles Souza, the provincial minister of finance, does something around the Toronto housing market.
1: How important is the debt? And I don't mean the deficit. I mean the, the debt. Because I know the opposition parties talk about that ad nauseum. Whoever the opposition is, they always rail against the government because of the, the debt. Uh, and I understand the long term implications. It's like if you have a huge mortgage and car payments and everything else, yeah, you're paying interest that's really not going to any net benefit to you at all. Right. But in people's day to day lives, does that matter a whole lot?
3: Well, at this moment, the answer is no, because remember, we've got the record low interest rates, the lowest interest rates in Canadian history at the moment. So we're able, the government of Canada is able to carry this debt uh, at relatively decent um, uh, interest rate payments. As I said earlier, I think interest rates are going to go up later this year, very small, but this may begin a cycle. So next year it might be a little more, the year after that might be a little more. And, And as it goes up, just like it would for your home mortgage, can you carry that same amount of debt when the interest rates are higher? This is why, again, it's always prudent as much as you can to bring down your debt so that if interest rates go up, you can still carry it. That's, again, a gamble that I think this government is prepared to take. They, they think that their load is fine. Now, who, wh- who gives them some feedback on this are people called bond rating agencies. They have great names like Moody's and Fitch, and they come out and they say, well, we think you're in good shape, so we're going to give you a A credit rating. And right now, Canada is still viewed as a pretty safe haven, and our credit rating is pretty darn good. Uh, they have said they're watching Ontario, and I think this is why you're going to hear a different tone from Charles Souza. I think he's going to announce mission accomplished, budget balanced in Ontario for 2017-18, uh, because Ontario, that debt load was getting a little out of control. But for the moment, at least compared to other nations in the world, we're looking okay. And that's, again, a gamble that Minister Morneau is willing to play.
1: All right, let's talk again. You know, let's face it, most people are going to re- look at this and say, okay, how does this impact me? Forget about right. what the mayor says, forget about yeah. what a premier says, right what about me. They didn't yeah. raise taxes, uh, Marvin, but what no. they did is they eliminated some tax credits for a lot of people. Uh, they did raise incrementally things like tobacco and, and, and alcohol, the sin taxes, as they say. Uh, and, and in those eliminations of some of those tax credits and, and the, the slight increases in, in some of these other products uh, that they've talked about, you heck even have to pay tax on Uber rides now. Uh, is the, That seems to be uh, focusing and targeting the middle class. Is that politically wise?
3: Yeah, so I understand what you're saying, Bill. But all of these things are just so teeny tiny that they really don't make much of a difference. So you know, you go through the list very quickly: uh, tax on gas, tax on cigarettes, two percent. Well, you know, yes, a twenty-dollar bottle of alcohol is now forty cents more expensive. It doesn't. It doesn't really mean anything. Yes, Uber rides, Uber rides are going to be taxed the same excuse me, the same way as taxis are. I think taxi drivers are going to be thrilled about this. Finally, at last, this is a 13% benefit that Uber had over them, and it's gone. So that's about fairness. They're getting rid of the tax credit that if you use transit, for instance, if I buy a pass every month, 15% of that, I got a credit back of 15%, that's going to go the way. Even Canada savings bonds are being canceled. But all of these, Bill, are, are just window dressing. It's like uh, playing with your hairstyle. It hasn't really changed anything about the, the physical nature of the beast here. And I think he did these things. These were things on somebody's list of saying, well, these are some fairness issues we've got to sort out. Let's do them, because they didn't really have anything else to talk about. The Bill Kelly Show,
0: weekdays from 9 to noon on AM 900 CHML.